my name's Kurt. I want to welcome you to Warehouse this morning. Um, you may or may not know this, but we are in a series about transitions in life and in a bigger theme. Our community is in a bit, a bit of a transition as well. Um, so if you're a visitor, I'm going to key you into that. Um, here, just not very long back, our lead pastor left to move on to do teaching in a more formalized way, and he's left. And we have not yet arrived with a, a new pastor, and so we find ourselves in a not an unusual place for churches where we're sort of in a land in between, if you want to call it that, sort of a time of transition. Now, there's really only three kinds of people in, in life. There are people that are uh, going into transition. There are people that are in transition. And there's people that are coming out of transitions. We are, con- we are constantly in some kind or some form of transition in our lives. And so the question isn't so much how to avoid transition in our life, but how to live robustly in the midst of transition, really how to have full life. We want people to have you know, full life that was promised to us and not, not like half-life. So, so that's, that's the big thing that we're in. In transitions in our lives, um, transition can shake some things loose sometimes or cause responses in us that um, aren't particularly helpful, behaviors that can be negative or even sin. And, and so what we want to work on during this, this series, if you would, as a community, is to look at the things that are available to us in the gospel that are sorts of antidotes, things that come against the specific areas where we struggle. And so um, this week, we're taking on this, uh, this temptation, if you would, during transition to disengage, to hit the autopilot, to decide I'm going to like lay back, I'm going to wait till something happens, maybe it's like I try to maybe the, uh, the, the bear approach, I'm just going to hibernate until something new happens and I'll come out at that point in time. How is it that we keep our lives engaged because full life is life that's engaged? I um, had uh, heard about today's speaker through uh, some friends for some time. And actually, some of those friends are here. Um, speaker today's name is Matt Bradner. And so I kept hearing his name, which is always a good sign. And then he, someone cued me into a talk that he had online called The God of the Yes, God of Yes. And I listened to the talk, and I was like, man, this guy, we got to get him to Warehouse because he is really talking our language. And so um, we've asked Matt to come today. Matt has uh, is 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 this, I would say you're 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 a professional religious person, so you got to work you got that working against you. Um, he is he is the he is the head of uh, campus outreaches ministry in Virginia. He's lived in Charvis previously, was a pioneer in their ministry here at UNC Charlotte and at Davidson, and has since moved on to open up uh, Virginia as well. So he is a guy who is himself very passionate. And I got to hear him in the first service, and it's really great. The band is going to set us up with this question about disengagement. And specifically in the song, which you're going to catch is, distance between creates disengagement. It can be geography. It can be in a relationships, wherever. That's where this kind of thing, that's where disengagement occurs. So um, enjoy the lament, as we call it, and look for Matt. And we're glad you're here. Good morning. It's good to be here with you. Even, even though, as, as Kurt said, I now live in Virginia, and I'm actually from Florida, I actually consider Charlotte, North Carolina to be the home of some of my greatest memories. Uh, I'll list a few of them uh, and then highlight one of them. Uh, for starters, it was in Charlotte, North Carolina that I became a Christian as a freshman in college. In this city, it's, this is where I met my wife, and our first two children were born. And in addition, I had the awesome experience of being a student athlete just up the road at UNC Charlotte. I played soccer for the Niners, 
and my sophomore season was definitely our finest. That year, we were ranked in the top five in the country and eventually advanced to the national semifinals, which were played in Richmond, Virginia. And the stadium uh, in Richmond was such to where the team bus could actually drive up into a corner of the stadium, and you could take a look at the field and see one half of the grandstands. And I'll never forget the moment where our bus drove up and immediately the whole team piled on one side, the side that looked at the field, and there we saw the most beautiful, green, well-manicured pitch of field we had ever seen. And in addition, we saw the NCAA logos and team logos looked like they were impeccably painted on. And our captain, Jimmy Kay, he yelled, boys... Take off your socks and shoes. Get ready to walk on a slice of heaven. That's his direct word. So we undid our shoes and we piled out of the bus. And I remember making our way to the field. I was talking with a teammate. Um, so I wasn't really paying attention to what was happening. But I could tell that as my teammates would take a few steps onto the field, they would stop and look down. And I was assuming they were just stunned by what they saw. Well, that assumption was correct, but not at all in the way that I had expected As I got to the field, I took a few steps on, and then I, too, looked down, and I realized that this wasn't the most well-manicured green grass, but this was actually green-painted dirt. Uh, The Richmond field had massive portions, dirt spots, that had been painted for the television cameras. And so right then, we huddled up. We, We found ourselves in an impromptu team meeting. What do you think was said in that team meeting? Let me tell you what was not said. Nobody said in that team meeting this. Nobody said, you know, guys, I I think we just ought to go home. I mean, our field at home is much better than this one. Nobody said that. And why didn't they say that? Because we were clear that the ultimate reason why we were in Richmond wasn't to play on the most well-manicured field we could imagine, but it was to represent the name on the front of our jerseys by going to battle, baby, against the evil forces of Florida International. That's why we were there. Um, uh, But were we disappointed? Yes, we were. Um, Was our initial expectation as to what we were going to see when we went on the field, was that unmet? Indeed. But did we lose heart? No. Uh, We pressed on. Uh, I'm going to come back and reference that story in a little bit. Um, The question that we're chewing on this morning is, are you disengaged? Specifically, are you disengaged with God? The primary definition for disengage is to be emotionally unattached. Are you emotionally unattached with God, which naturally produces a lack of movement or a lack of action? Now, I know questions like that, uh, they're easy to dodge. No. Yeah, move on, dude. Um, So let me press in a little. Let me just say it a few ways. Let me ask it in different ways to get us thinking this morning. Are you bothered by your lack of spiritual involvement or initiative, yet never seem to have the motivation to act on that? Or let me give the flip side. Do you feel good about your level of spiritual involvement and initiative, yet if we were able to look under the surface to your heart, we would see that the primary and really sole motivator is duty I do this because I know I should. Two more questions. Do you 
Uh, do you often find yourself wondering what your life could be like if you didn't have these Christian rules? Or when you have unmet expectations, maybe it's a family, relationships, job. When you have unmet expectations, are you quick to question the goodness of God to you? That's uh, just to get us thinking. Are you disengaged? If you're here this morning and you, you wouldn't call yourself or you don't call yourself a Christian, that is, you're not a follower of Christ, um, we're glad you're here, and this is actually a great message for you. The reason why is because I'm not just going to talk about what it looks like to be disengaged, but I want to do my best to give a picture of what it looks like to be fully engaged with God. And in doing so, if you're not a Christian, you get to see what God is inviting you into. Because I'll tell you this, God is not inviting you into a life of disengaged religious activity. You don't find that in the Bible, and that should encourage you if you're not a Christian. Say, good, because I don't want to do that. I don't want to live a life of disengaged, monotonous religious activity. God is calling us into something more. And the example of a fully engaged person we'll be looking at, he's already been referenced in this series, and his name is Caleb. We are eventually going to make our way to the final snapshot that we're given of Caleb's life. It's in Joshua 14, and it's when he's 85 years old. So if you don't have your category of 85-year-old heroes completely filled yet, good, good news. You're going to add one this morning. Uh, 85 years old, um, he's fully engaged. But before we get there, I want us to look back at Caleb's most defining day. And that is Numbers 13 and 14, when Caleb was one of the 12 spies. Now, I know that you've taken a look at this passage if you've been coming to Warehouse, but I think it's beneficial for us to take a look back at it through the lens of what caused the people to be disengaged and, and, and the people to be engaged. Because when we look at the end of Caleb's life, he's still at 85 years old, fully engaged with God, but what you don't get to see is the contrast with the disengaged people. And quite frankly, the reason why is because they're all dead at that point. You go back to Numbers 13 and 14, and we get to, we're going to get to see what does disengagement look like and what does engagement look like. And then I'm going to give you what I believe to be the fuel for that type of, of faith. So uh, Numbers 13 and 14, um, if, you, if you don't know the story... Uh, it's really straightforward at one level. Uh, this is an exciting time. The people of God have finally, it's a long-awaited time. They've made their way to the southern border of the promised land. And this is a promise that dates all the way back to Genesis 12, given to Abram. And before Moses sends them to possess the land, he selects 12 men, one representative from each tribe, to go in and uh, preview the land, if you will. And... Um, they, uh, they go in and they look at the land. Um, they see that it's a good land. There's some milk and honey and good stuff there. And then they go in and they look at the people and they see some, some big dudes, right? That's a modern translation, big dudes. Um, uh, I, I just went to, I took my family for a family trip to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And on the, the main street, they have the Guinness World Record Museum. And, and outside of it is a life-size rec- replica of the world's tallest man ever. It's a big dude. I mean, he's sitting and he stands, and, uh, you know, it's a big dude. Uh, That's kind of maybe what they saw. They saw some big dudes uh, in the land. Uh, They also um, saw the cities they lived in, and then they brought back some grapes. But most importantly, um, these spies came back with 
a report. And, and, and you probably know this, but, uh, but don't be too quick to assume that you get it. Uh, they had two reports. The first report was by 10 of the spies. And, and, and let's look at this first report. Uh, this report by 10 of them, it, it connected. Uh, the heart of all of Israel went with this report. And, um, and, and it's best summarized in Psalm 106.24. I, I think it's the clearest or shortest summary. Um, look what Psalm 106.24 says. It says, they had no faith in his promise. I mean, how, how much clearer can you get? Uh, the first report, they said, um, we're, we're not moving forward. We're not going there. We're disengaging. We're checking out because we don't believe that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. They had no faith in his promise. Deuteronomy 1 gives us a glimpse into what was going on in their heart. And that's what I want to look at this morning. What disengaged them at the heart? And here's what Deuteronomy 1 says. Yet you would not go up, speaking of the ten that connected with the heart of all of Israel, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Watch this. And you murmured in your tent, saying, Because the Lord hated us. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. So here's the first summary. They look at the land God has called them to, and they said, We're not going because God obviously hates us to send us there. That's the first report, okay? Hold that. Second report was Caleb and Joshua, and uh, their report connects with one heart, the heart of God. If you're going to get one, he's the one you want to get, right? It connected with God's heart so much so that to this next report, God is going to say, Caleb and Joshua, you are the only men over the age of 20 who will see the promised land. So later on, when we look at 85-year-old Caleb, by the way, he's 20 years older than every other Israelite male other than Joshua. Um, And he's still killing it. He's still rocking it. Um, he's not sulking. He's not, gosh, he's all these young bucks. No, he's still fully engaged. Um, so this report, God says, you're the only two who are going to enter the land. And not only that, but uh, Caleb, the land that you walked on that everybody feared, I'm going to give that to you. That's your future home. Uh, so what was their report? Uh, here's their report. Joshua and Caleb said to the people, and, and watch this because I'm, I'm, what I'm doing here is I'm pulling out what disengagement looks like. Um, we're not going because God must hate us. And now here's engagement. Um, the land which we've passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. Watch this. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us do not fear them. So two groups of people, um, they, they go in and spy, and one report says, um, we're not going, we're checking out, we're disengaging because God must hate us to send us there. And then one report says, we're going for it, we're moving forward because God delights in us. I mean, can you see the contrast, all right? You didn't have to have a UNC Charlotte education to see the contrast, right? Uh, we, 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 we get it. That, that the, have, do you see a picture of, of engagement and disengagement more starkly than this? Um, before I get to um, what, what separated them, what was the deal, um, uh, we just need to stop there. And, and I just got to maybe shine the light on you for a second and say, 
Where is it in your life when, when that first report shows up? Really, God, you must hate me if marriage is going to be this hard. Or you must hate me if I'm going to lose a child. Or you must hate me if we don't meet our yearly financial goals. Like, where does that report show up for you? Um, and, 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 and where does the other report show up? God, he must delighten me. You know, uh, where does it show up? That, that's, that's where we're going. So what was the deal? Um, did Caleb and Joshua see something that the others didn't see? Like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the show Storage Wars. Have you ever seen storage wars? Uh, storage units get defaulted on, and then they go up for public auction. And, and it's amazing. You know, you stand at the edge of the you. I haven't ever been there. Um, confession. Uh, they stand at the edge, and you look in, and, and, and one guy, one investor will say, worthless. Another investor looking at the same unit will say, priceless. Uh, I'm doing whatever it takes to get this unit. Because he sees something that the other one didn't, like the corner of a safe or the corner of a gun case. That's usually what they are, safer gun cases. Um, I, I'm like, I've, where are these units at, you know? Um, but, but is that what happened? Did Caleb and Joshua see something the others didn't? No. They saw the same thing the others did. There was no, like, they walked down this one side of a mountain and like, is that a pile of money? Um, you know, like, keep that to ourselves. No. They saw the same thing, um, yet... One says God must hate us. One says God delights in us. Um, what separated them? It wasn't that they saw something different. Um, let me suggest something. I think if you get this, it, it, it will influence uh, this church because it will influence uh, families and individuals that make up churches. Um, what separated them was an expectation. Somehow along the way, the ten spies and, and then all of the people of Israel got an expectation that God is going to fulfill his promises by eliminating our problems. And when they stepped foot on the promised land, like me and my teammates stepped foot on the field in Richmond, they saw something they did not expect to see. Problems, obstacles, and their experience of that circumstance, it influenced the way they viewed their God. Let me say that again. They expected God was going to fulfill his promises by eliminating our problems. And the moment they saw their problems, that experience influenced the way they viewed God. No way. You must hate us. Friends, that's not faith. Faith sees God in such a way that your view of him influences the way you experience your circumstances. Caleb had faith. He had a different expectation. His expectation was that God would fulfill his promises not by eliminating his problems, but by dominating them. I'm going to say it again. I, I use dominate very uh, purposefully. God will fulfill his promises, not by eliminating my problems, but by dominating them. I like dominating for two reasons. Number one, dominating is a strong word, and Caleb is a strong character. Uh, it's strength. It just goes together. But the second reason I like dominate is because of this. To dominate is to have a commanding influence over something. In the way that God dominates our problems in life, sometimes he defeats them. But, but hear me, more often than not, God dominates our problems by giving, a, giving us a peace that has a commanding influence over the fear and anxiety we also fear, feel. Let me say that again. 
Sometimes God defeats our problems, but more often than not, God dominates them by giving us a peace that has a commanding influence over the fear and anxiety that is also there. That's faith. Faith is seeing God in such a way you believe him to fulfill his promises, not by eliminating your problems, but by dominating them. This is what Jesus said in John 16, 33. This is a great verse. If you memorize scripture, you know, get this one. Hold on to this one. Jesus said, the things I've said to you so that you might have peace. So here he goes. There's a peace from God. In the world, you will have trouble. Guaranteed. Promised. Um, there's a promise for you. I'm a big promise guy. There's a promise. Um, in the world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Watch this. I've overcome the world. I've dominated the world. So my peace is going to have a commanding influence over the troubles of the world. Um, let me summarize this and, and, and tell you uh, why this is such a big deal. Here's the summary. Uh, faith in God influences our view of circumstances because we believe that he'll fulfill his promises not by eliminating our problems but by dominating them. If you embrace that, uh, you, you would be engaged. That's engagement right there. To be disengaged is to say, no, I can see the circumstance and it's influencing my God. I'm not going. I'm not stepping forward. But engagement looks like this. And here's what I want to say. I want to suggest to you this morning, I don't want to suggest, I want to tell you that what fuels this sort of faith, what fuels these sort of people is remembrance. Caleb was a man who remembered well. And at both instances of faith, the Numbers 13, 14, and then the Joshua 14, they're both fueled by remembering something. And remembrance led to engagement. Uh, are you disengaged? Uh, I think there's hope that you could be engaged. And the fuel of that is remembering. I'm going to show you three things that Caleb remembered and then try to bring this together. Uh, the first thing is that Caleb remembers what God did in the past. Um, where do I get this from? Uh, you remember when Caleb was giving his big speech? Uh, it's like a locker room speech, right? When he was trying to inspire the people not to disengage, but let's go forward. Get off your, your you're sitting on your hands. Let's, let's go forward. And by the way, this is a great speech. And the end of the speech is, and the people all, you know, let's get stones, you know, and they go to stone him, uh, which I just think is funny because they're like, this is awesome, you know, and they go to kill him. Uh, but but how does he inspire them? He says this phrase, If the Lord, what in us? You remember? If the Lord delights in us. Where does he get that from? Like, where does he get this idea that God delights in them? Because if you read Moses, when he sends him, he says, God's promised you this land, but he doesn't ever say anything because he delights in you. He doesn't say that. Where does Caleb get that from? Did he just pull that one out? Was that one of those, you know, dude, that was awesome. Where'd you get that? I don't know. It just came to me in the moment. Uh, no, it wasn't. Caleb remembered back to the way God spoke about the Exodus and the way that God spoke about bringing his people out of Egypt. And the language that God uses is that God delighted in rescuing his people. That God, well, I'll show it to you in Exodus 19. And this is significant. Here, get this. When Caleb had to face his current problem, what fueled him to engage in his current problem is he remembered back to the way that God overcame his greatest problem, which was Egypt. Egypt was a much greater problem than the big dudes were. And so he remembers back. We're going to come back to that. That's huge. 
He remembers back to his greatest problem and how that fueled him uh, to engage. Uh, Look at this language. You yourselves have seen, this is God, what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. And, And watch this. Here's my favorite part. Because among all peoples for all the earth is mine. What's God saying there? God's saying this, like, uh, the reason why you treasure your car, most of you, is because it's the only one you got, right? And it, I mean, like, like, oh, I love my Taurus. Like, does he really love his Taurus? It's the only one I got. I got to love it. Um, but here's what God says. When I treasure over a people, when I delight over a people, oh, by the way, all the earth is mine. It's not because they're the only ones I got. I could have delighted in any of them, but I did you. And when Caleb says, if God delights in us, what he's saying is, do you remember that God brought us out because we were his treasured possession? If God did that in Egypt, then surely we can trust him for this. Caleb remembers what God did. And if we're going to be a people that engage, because if problems, you know, Kurt said it, transition's inevitable. Problems are inevitable. They're around the corner. You've probably got some problems that, you know, don't check, that have been buzzing in your back pocket that, you know, you're going to check in a few minutes. Oh, that too. Uh, If you're going to be someone who steps out and engages in faith and doesn't shrink back, uh, then one of the fuels is remembering what God did. If, uh, if, if you haven't ever read through the Bible from, uh, as I've heard it said, Genesis to Maps, um, if you don't get that, go look to somebody who has a big Bible and keep going past Revelations, you'll get it. Um, if you haven't read it, uh, it, it's really awesome to do it. One of the themes you'll see, especially in the first five books of the Bible, is God constantly says, remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget. But here's what I found interesting this year in my reading through the Bible this year, is God tells him to remember things like this. Remember that you came out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And I'm reading that, and I'm like, really, God? Like, is anybody really going to forget that one? I mean, think about it. Is, is there anybody in history who, who said, like, you came from Egypt, right? Yeah. You remember how you got here? You know, I don't. Um, how it, Oh, the, the sea parted. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's not like uh, you're, when's your, uh, you know, why does God say that? What's, is he saying that you actually might forget, that they might forget that they went through the Red Sea? No, it's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that we're forgetful in a twisted way. Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 17. If you're taking notes, you write that Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 17. Um, here's what God says. He says, do not forget that the Lord brought you out of Egypt through the Red Sea, lest when you settle and when you build your home and when your belly gets full, your heart be lifted up so that you say it is by my strength and it is by my power that I have gotten this. But remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives. It is by his power that he has confirmed his covenant. You see what God's saying? He's not thinking they're actually going to forget it. They're going to forget it in a twisted way and make it all about them. Caleb doesn't do that. He remembers God rescued us because he delights in us, and surely we can engage in this. Uh, That's the first remembrance. Um, Two more. These come from the final um, uh, snapshot of Caleb's life. And let me set it up this way before we read it. It's uh, somewhat of a long text, but but it's good. And uh, this this is a scenario. 
After the rebellion where the two reports and uh, the main report, they did not believe God and trust him, uh, they wander in the desert for nearly four decades. And Joshua 14 is when God finally gives them access to re-enter the promised land. And the first thing that they're going to do when they re-enter the promised land is what you do with your family or your friends when you go on vacation and you get to the house that you're going to stay at, everybody claims what? A bedroom. Uh, I love the answers there because it could have been anything. Um, they claim a bedroom. They're like, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here. Well, right when they get ready to enter the promised land, that's what they do. Joshua says, let me tell you where y'all are all going to sleep. It's based on your inheritance and tribes. And Caleb and the men from Judah, they come up because Caleb had a promise about this one. And so that's the scene here. And, uh, and so here we go. Joshua 14. Uh, I, I'm going to skip through some parts, so just track with me. Uh, the people of Judah and Caleb come to Joshua. They say, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to spy the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. In other words, he's saying, I really believed it. It wasn't for show. I wasn't playing devil's advocate. It wasn't for Moses. I really believed God. Um, but the others made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore to me on that day, saying, Surely the land which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Uh, next slide. Um, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the Lord spoke to Moses. And behold, I am 85 years old. Ah, oh, I love this guy. I am, you know, pause. Um, people tell me, I'm in my 30s. They say you need to get an idea of where you want to be financially uh, when you're in your 80s and you need to work backwards and say, am I on track? Um, great advice. How about spiritually? Who do you want to be when you're in your 80s? Here's an example right here. Um, I'm 85. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and going and coming. So now give me this country of which the Lord spoke. For you heard on that day how the giants were there with great fortified cities. Watch this. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord had said. Okay, first thing, um, big passage. Um, first thing I want to point out, uh, did you see his expectation? Even at 85 years old. His expectation was God was going to fulfill his promise, not by eliminating his problem, but by dominating it. Even then, uh, it was, he, the giants were still there. He didn't say, are you kidding me? 45 years and they're still here? I mean, God, what have you been doing? Uh, his expectation, that this is what God does. He dominates problems, not eliminates them. Um, two things that he remembers, uh, and then we'll put it together. Uh, these are pretty simple. Um, will you go back to the first slide, please? Uh, first thing, oh. That is, first slide. Thank you. Um, listen to this. L look at this. But my brothers who went up made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. Uh, if you were there and you overheard Caleb say that, um, you, might, you might tend to think that that sounds a little arrogant, right? Or a little boastful. Definitely extreme. Uh, it's almost like you ever had a friend who says like, yeah, I made dinner for my roommates last night, and it was the best meal ever. You're like, 
really the best meal ever? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, and if you hear him say, um, it was, I wholly followed the Lord my God, you would want to say, really, you wholly followed him? Like, perfectly? Uh, you know, just, there, holy, come on, Caleb, really? Um, look, that wasn't arrogant. It wasn't boastful. Because Caleb was simply remembering and then repeating what God had said to him. He was remembering who God said he was. This is the second act of remembrance, that Caleb remembered who God said he was. And so when he says, I wholly followed the Lord, that, he's quoting God in Numbers 14, 24. So when you say, oh, really, big man? And he's like, no, 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 no. I didn't come up with this. This is what God said over me. God made an extreme claim over Caleb. And when he's 85, he's saying, baby, I've never forgotten it. I won't forget it as long as I live what God said, who God said I was. Um, That's the first remembrance. He remembers what God did. He remembers who God said he was. These fueled engagement. And then here's the last one. And then I'll bring it together. Um, Lastly, Caleb remembered where God said he was going. Uh, This is very simple. A guy drove all the way from Virginia to say this. Uh, He remembers where God said he was doing. He walks at 85 and he says... um, uh, his language suggests that there were many times in, in, over the 38 years in the wilderness that he thought he would die, but God kept him alive. Uh, many battles, many um, victories. He says, God kept me alive, and all of those years, um, I never lost sight of my future home that God promised I would have. I never lost sight of the inheritance, the place where I was ultimately going. And today, Joshua, I am here to cash in. <laughs> I, I'm, I really, I, I'm, here, I'm here to receive where God promised that I was going. Uh, Okay, let me put it together. Um, Caleb uh, had two instances of faith in his life that we're looking at today. Uh, Numbers 13 and 14, Joshua 14. By the way, I don't know if you remember like this, but uh, 14s are big. Exodus 14, Red Sea. Numbers 14, Spies in the Land. Joshua 14, 85-year-old knocking it out of the park. Uh, You know, that's kind of... Remember the 14s. Both of, these, uh, both of these examples, he, he had an opportunity to disengage because of the presence of problem, but he engaged, um, and, and he did it based, at, it was fueled by remembrance. Number one, he remembered that God had already rescued him from his greatest problem ever, Egypt. Number two, he remembered when God already made an extreme claim over who he was. And number three, he remembered that God had promised a future to him. Uh, what do we do with this? Uh, get this. It, this. What I'm about to say, this last five minutes, this is what makes it Christian. Um, uh, a few years ago, um, when I wanted to know what time it was, I would go look at the clock. And when I wanted to set up an appointment with a friend, I would go to my daytimer. And when I wanted to make a phone call, I would go to my telephone. And when I wanted to play a game, I would go to my Nintendo. But now, where I used to go here and here and here and here, it now all is held here. Okay? Now let me put this out of view. Um, That is what the cross is to Christianity. Caleb is an example of a man who remembered back 
to where God in Egypt brought him out of his greatest problem. He remembered that moment where God declared, you wholly follow me. Then he remembered where God promised him a future. Well, if you're a Christian and if you trust in Christ, all of those now flow from one place, the cross. At the cross, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So here we go. Warehouse 242. Uh, Individuals, get this. Um, When you are facing with a problem in life and you uh, you need fuel to engage in it, you look at the cross and you remember that at the cross, God already rescued you out of your greatest problem, which was your sin problem. And when you have a problem in life and you need fuel to engage, you look at the cross and you remember that at the cross, because of what Jesus did, God has made an extreme claim as to who you are. Look at this. So that you might become the righteousness of God. In the Greek, guess what righteousness means? Righteousness. Wow, what a Bible student. Um, It means righteousness. God makes severe claims to people who trust in the cross. When you need fuel to engage in faith for the problem that lies ahead, you look at the cross and remember that there it's empty because Jesus went to the grave and he resurrected. And when he resurrected, he secured for you your eternity with him. Now we look to Caleb as a model of someone who remembered and engaged and we go to the cross for all of them. Um, How beautiful is the cross? I'll end with this. Um, what would this church be like uh, if it were full of men and women who encountered life's inevitable challenges, problems? But they did it in such a way that they engaged because they remembered that Jesus has already rescued them out of their greatest problem. And they remembered that Jesus has declared to them an extreme claim, you are righteous in me. And they remembered that as good or as bad as it gets, and it will get both, uh, your promised land awaits. Oh, that would be an awesome place to be. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for this model of a man fully engaged in you. God, we ask that you would make us a people who, like Caleb, we remember well. But, Father, would you help our memory to be centered in and out of the cross. In that one place, uh, all that you have promised us is now yes in Christ to us. Father, pray, help this church to be one that doesn't sit on their hands, but they engage in faith because they remember what you've done in the past who you've declared them to be, and where you have promised they're going. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We are having, I don't have it in here. You just found this little thing on your chairs that says conversations about marriage. Pick that up. Um, We'd love to have you sign up. We had 25 folks sign up last week. That's pretty good for the first week out of the gate. Uh, This is conversation is not just for uh, the married folk. You know, if you wait until you have a problem to have a conversation, it's probably a little bit late. So we're really excited to see a bunch of single folks sign up as well. So if you're, like we said last week, you're thinking about um, bagging somebody, um, trying to figure out how to get somebody out of your bag, um, 
this is a good place to go find out more about that. So uh, that's going to be for three Sundays in August. I think it's the 7th, the 14th, and the 21st on Tuesday nights. The cost is $3 per couple, $15 per person. Palmer Trice at the Barnes Center is bringing that uh, teaching. He is somewhat famous, so that should be a great time. If there's more you want to know about, something you didn't hear, why don't you check out the website. Go to that green icon. You'll find it on the site that says the skinny, and there'll be more information there. And if you'd like to have any, if, if you have something you'd like to have us prayer to pray for you about, um, you have three ways to get that done. You can scoot yourself right on around uh, the corner over here um, at the end of the service, and there'll be some folks there who'd love to pray for you. You can email us at prayer at warehouse242, or you can write a prayer request on any piece of paper or rock or small object and leave it in one of the yellow boxes on the doors as you go out. And um, um, I want Matt to give us the benediction because I was really touched by what he said and I want to keep having him say things. So, Please stand and receive the benediction. May God bless you with remembrance. May you beware lest you say in your heart your power and the might of your hand has gotten you this. But let us remember that the Lord our God for it is he who gives that he may confirm his covenant. Amen.